hear now a reading from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Um, I've been encouraging you to bring your own Bibles so that you can make notes and use that later on uh, in your devotional time. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be reading from uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message. We usually read from the New Revised Standard Version, uh, which is a great translation of the Bible, and that's what is in the Pew Bibles in front of you. Uh, but Eugene Peterson has done a, a pretty uh, good paraphrase that sometimes makes a passage come alive in a way that's just striking. And I think that that's what he does in this passage from Romans 12, beginning with verse 1. Um, you do have a Lexio Divina sheet in your bulletin, uh, which is our, uh, our little handout for sacred reading. And uh, if there's anything in this scripture verse that jumps out at you, grabs your attention, uh, impresses something on your heart, I would invite you to write that word, phrase, or image on the front of that Lexio Divina sheet, and then you can pray through that using the steps uh, below that first blank. So hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't be so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it was a beautiful Sunday morning at West End United Methodist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. I was a graduate student at Vanderbilt, and this was my home church. If you've ever been there, Cathedral, and this is the exterior here on the screen. And when I was inside, the space felt holy. It felt sacred. And the beauty of the architecture and interior reminded me of the beauty and creative power of God, and this is an image. It just doesn't do it justice, but you kind of get an idea from the picture. On this particular Sunday, I was dealing with some challenges and really needed to connect with the presence of God. Together with other Christians, I sang the opening hymn as the pastor and the altar assistants processed down the center aisle, lifting high the cross. All of our voices together, along with a huge choir, filled the space and immediately lifted my spirit. 
The music at West End, and you have to remember, it's in Nashville, right? And so the choir was full of volunteers, but most of them were professional vocalists. And the music at this church often felt like a foretaste of heaven. Have you ever experienced that yourself? In addition to singing, we prayed together, we read scripture and heard a powerful message. And in all of this togetherness, I felt connected to something that was much bigger than myself. And then, in a way that took me by complete surprise, something strange happened. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm an academic, and I tend to be very evidence-based, and I tend to be, and don't judge me, right? We've all got our growing edges, but sometimes I tend to be a little suspicious of like claims of supernatural and miracles and things like that. Like I really want to dig into that and explore that deeper. I don't just accept it on face value. But something happened by, to me by complete surprise on this Sunday because in the middle of the service, as I was looking at the spaces between the arches, I looked up by the pipe organ and there is an arch and I saw what I immediately thought was an angel. And I was tempted to completely dismiss this as a figment of my imagination as my rational brain began to kick in and I began to think, I'm seeing things, right? But as I kept focusing my attention, gazing into this space, I continued to see this angel. And it wasn't in the same way that I saw the pastor or the choir or the people sitting around me. It was in a way that was hard to explain. It was similar to how ghosts are portrayed in movies. It was there, but it was there in a strange, in a different way. I knew that I was seeing something real but I wasn't seeing with my physical eyes, I was seeing with the eyes of faith. And I felt so comforted by this moment because I knew in a powerful way that I was not alone. And that's the feeling that I was wrestling with in that season of my life. So whether or not it was really an angel, I believe wholeheartedly that God was showing me something to bring comfort, strength, and hope during a difficult time. And it was a special moment that I will never forget. And I'm wondering if you have ever had a special moment in worship. Maybe it was a Sunday service or a concert or the culmination of a retreat. Maybe the music gave you chills or brought you to tears. That second song that we sing is one of my favorites and it always brings me to tears. Or maybe the prayers spoke to your heart in a powerful way or it seemed like the pastor was reading your mail and wrote a message that was just for you. Have you ever experienced God's presence in a special way that it stays with you over time, over the years? Now while your experience probably looks very different from mine. And, and I've had more than one of those experiences and all of them look very different. So while my experience might, like dif might look different from yours, what they all seem to have in common is that they're special moments that are grounded in an overwhelming response to the goodness of God. If you know what I'm talking about and you're awake, somebody say amen. It's an overwhelming response to the goodness of God. 
And I believe that that is a really good description of worship. An overwhelming response to the goodness of God. And sometimes these moments happen for me during times of my life when I've become really ungrateful. You know what I'm talking about? When you become cynical and ungrateful and all of a sudden like a lightning bolt, it hits you. And when it happens like that, it even has more power than if you come in and you're already kind of joyful and then that just kind of increases. So worship is where we connect with the presence of God, where we become more aware of the goodness of God and offer honor and glory and praise to God. And we know this, right? I mean, sometimes because it becomes a routine, we're tempted to think that worship is about coming into a building that's got beautiful stained glass once a week for an hour where we can sing some of our favorite songs and hear a message that will help us to become more moral people, right? We sense of God. We are reminded that worship is so much more than what we associate with regular routines. And during these times, we often feel compelled to surrender ourselves more deeply to God as an expression of faith and gratitude. And so on the back of your Connect card, there's a little box that says, I've decided to follow follow Jesus in a deeper way. Because we have these experiences that make us want to go further with Christ. And in time, in time, we learn that these special moments in worship services are intended to be a microcosm of what God wants to give us every day. Are you awake, church? We are reminded that God's grace, which is to say God's presence and God's power, is infinite in supply and omnipresent in availability. There is no time when we are not in God's presence because we live, breathe, move, and have our very existence in the Spirit of God. And so you often hear me say that while you might feel as if you were alone, while you might feel as if God's presence is somewhere else, it's not because God's presence is somewhere else, it's because we have become insensitive to the presence of God. We have become deaf to the voice of God. We've become blind to see God all around us in our midst. We started this morning and I said, take a deep breath. Did you know that when you were breathing, the Spirit of God is animating that breath? The Spirit of God is the energy that pumps the blood through your veins. And this means that these moments of special connection and worship services are always and everywhere available to us if we are willing to recognize our need and seek out the presence of God. And this is something that the contemplatives and the mystics help us to understand. But the, even before them, the ancient Israelites understood that our connection with God has to be more than an annual pilgrimage. And we think about, you know, Uh, Jews from around the world going to the Holy Land, but for some Christians, Christmas Eve or Easter morning is an annual pilgrimage. (laughs) It's got to be more than that, and it's got to be more than a formal worship service. While we tend to think of worship as a weekly event, 
The ancient Israelites help us to see that worship is less of an event and more a way of life. That as a lifestyle, worship should be integrated into every aspect of life. And we get a glimpse of this in Deuteronomy chapter six, beginning with verse four, and this is what it says. It'll be projected on the screen behind me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the great Shema, which is some of the most reverent words that, that, that those who practice Judaism utter. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, we remember that part, right? But listen to the next part. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In this passage, led to the creation of what are called Teflon or phylacteries, which are black leather boxes strapped to the body that contain scripture verses. So following this passage, some Orthodox Jewish men wear these boxes on their head or their forearms as a way of keeping the commandments of God always before them. Now this might seem really weird if you weren't raised in an Orthodox Jewish home, but when you think about it, Christians do these kinds of things too. So we wear chains around our necks with crosses and other religious symbols. I was interacting with an atheist one time and I had a chain with a cross on my neck and he asked me, why do you wear a cross around your neck? That would be like somebody wearing uh, an image of an electric chair around their neck. Like he just didn't get it, right? So that might seem normal to us, but it sounds strange to people who don't grow up Christian. Why would you put an instrument of execution around your neck and put it in gold on a chain, <laughs> right? We also wear other religious symbols that signify prayer or other things that are meaning for us. We wear religious bracelets that say, what would Jesus do? We wear corny Christian t-shirts and hats Sometimes people even get tattoos that incorporate scripture verses as Christian symbols. We also adorn the walls of our homes with crosses and framed prints of icons, pictures of Jesus and scriptural verses. And all of this stuff serve, that all of these things serve as constant reminders of God's presence, power, and provision. And in addition to the passage in Deuteronomy, the Apostle Paul also teaches in Romans 12 that worship should be integrated into every aspect of life. So as we read this morning in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase taken from the message, Paul says this, and I just want to read it again. Take your everyday ordinary life. I want to pause for a minute. Is everybody listening? This is really important. This passage is the key text for today. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him, showing gratitude, receiving the gift. 
This is also important. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And this last verse, I think, is particularly relevant in the times that we live today. Are you awake, church? Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. See, that's the fruit of doing what he says in the preceding verses. It's when we take our everyday ordinary life, when we take our sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, when we do that on a daily basis, that's what allows God to bring out the best in us and to develop maturity in us. Because if you haven't heard lately, God doesn't want you to remain spiritually immature. God wants you to grow up in the faith. And part of experiencing the fullness of life that God has for you requires that kind of maturing process. So in this passage in Romans 12, we see that worship is not limited to formal services in church buildings once a week. Again, worship is less an event and more a lifestyle, or what we might call a liturgy of life. Now if that word is not familiar with you, the word liturgy is often used by pastors to describe the pattern of a formal worship service. And the word in its original context means literally the work of the people. So worship is something not that the pastor does or the band does, we are inviting you into an experience so that all of us can engage in this work of the people that we call worship. So when we talk about liturgy, we're talking about formative practices. Somebody say that with me, formative practices. And these formative practices are intended to teach us a pattern of life. We're talking about habits that form our identity and organize our way of living in this world. Worship is intended to be a liturgy of life, a pattern of life that forms us daily into the image of Christ. So whether you're religious or not, I want you to think about this. We all have habits that constitute our everyday lives, all of us. Some of us brush our teeth first thing in the morning and our spouse thanks us. Others check their cell phone. Some eat breakfast right out of getting out of bed. Others like me have to have several cups of coffee to face the day and maybe eat at 11 o'clock in the afternoon. Some get up early to exercise while others lay in bed and read the newspaper. Some pray and read scripture in the morning while others watch TV while they're getting ready for work. You get the idea. We're constantly doing certain things all day long, and we tend to repeat a lot of those things over and over again in ways that help us to discern a pattern, and this pattern is what kind of orients us in the world, structures the way that we see the world, and determines in large part the kind of person that we are. Again, these habits create patterns that do two things. First of all, they create patterns that reveal what we truly worship. 
Now, perhaps you had a spouse that brought you here today and you're not a religious person. You say, well, I don't worship. My spouse worships, but I don't worship. And what we hear from some of the greatest theological and philosophical minds is that human beings, by the, by the nature of the kind of creatures that we are, we are worshiping creatures. And whether you are worshiping God or worshiping your spouse or worshiping your car or worshiping your favorite politician, we are always worshiping something. This is really interesting, and I, this is not in my notes, and I, I know Emma told me I have to keep this message tight because we got a long song at the end, but um, what's interesting to me is that the Old Testament, there's a pattern there that I saw when I was in seminary that I'll never forget, and that is, number one, all of us are gonna worship something, and number two, what we worship is going to hold us captive. And if we're worshiping God, we're a captive to Christ. And as a captive to Christ, we experience true freedom. That's one of the paradoxes of the faith. But if we're worshiping something other than God, then that will hold us captive, and we always become a slave to the idol. If you worship money, you're gonna be a slave to money. If you worship you know, sex or your dating partner or your spouse, you're going, you're going to be a slave to them, right? If you worship your political party, you're gonna become a slave to that, right? And, and here's another thing too, if you wanna figure out what you truly worship, keep a distraction diary. Have you ever done this before? Take, get a little notebook and carry it around with you. And you know, throughout the day, we catch ourselves having distracting thoughts. You know what I'm talking about? You'll, you'll just kind of, oh, why am I thinking about that? And then you kind of realize what you're doing and bring your attention back to whatever it needs to be. So take a, get a little notebook, carry it around, and every time you have a distracting thought, write it down and then go back to your day. And then after a couple of weeks, take that little notebook out and read over all those distracting thoughts, and I promise you there's one thing that's gonna be coming up over and over and over again, and if you are not careful, that will be your God. That's your idol. But I gotta get back to the message, so we'll talk about that later, right? So these habits in worship, the habits that we engage in, these formative practices, they will reveal to us what we truly worship. Not what we say we worship, but what we truly worship. And also, these practices, whether good or bad, whether religious or secular, these practices are going to form the kind of people that we are. In certain respects, we are what we do. We are what we do over and over and over again. And these habits, these formative practices can either draw us into the fullness of life that God intends for us, or whether we realize it or not, they can deform and disfigure the image of God in you. Deform and disfigure the image of God, making us less alive. Have you ever felt like the living dead? I, I battle with depression, and sometimes when I'm depressed, I feel like a zombie, right? You feel less alive. When the image of God is deformed inside of you, when it's corrupted, when it's disfigured, then you are less human and you're less able to give and receive love throughout the day. So whoever we are and whatever we believe and wherever we live, all of us spend our days doing things. We live in routines 
formed by habits and practices. But as Christians, we are called to be a peculiar people shaped by peculiar practices. Remember that Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of the world, which allows us to be a light shining in darkness. And again, this means that Christians should be different. We are called to embrace a countercultural way of life, to be an alternative people formed differently, formed by practices and habits that cultivate a deeper love of God and others. And this is what worship is really about. About, not about. I get excited sometimes and mispronounce my words. Worship. Listen, friends. God invites us into a life of worship constituted by formative practices that are woven into the fabric of our everyday lives and make us more like Jesus. That's the goal, to be like Jesus. So if you pay attention to your bulletin on Sunday mornings, you will see that the, or the order of worship rarely changes. The content changes from week to week, but the pattern stays pretty much the same because our corporate worship is structured by certain formative practices that are intended to form us over time by becoming daily habits. So when we gather and we offer our praise to God through song and reading, when we confess our sin and hear the words of assurance that we are forgiven, when we pray and offer our thanksgiving and petitions, when we engage the word of God and consider how we might live more fully into that word, when we offer our gifts of support for the mission of Jesus to the ministries of the church, when we gather around the table and celebrate Holy Communion, when we are sent out to be the hands and feet of compassion, in a hurting world, all of these things, somebody say all, all of these things are foundational practices that are intended to be carried into our everyday lives to form us into the image of Christ, to make us more like Jesus in our attitude and our behavior. So the main point of this message is very simple. It's that these foundational practices are intended to go beyond a weekly service on Sunday morning that we call worship. It's so sad to me when I see Christians that have been coming to church their whole life and they think that worship is the music. That's common. I, I'm going to worship means I'm going to listen to some good music for a lot of people. And it's so much more than that. It's a set of fundamental practices that are intended to provide a framework for all of life, to instill habits that give us a discernible pattern that can be recognized as that lived by Jesus. It's a discernible pattern in what we value, what we truly value, and how we behave. So what would it look like to follow Paul's instruction to take your everyday life and place it before God as an offering? And I was helped in this regard by my friend Phil, who provides these really cool examples. So as you're preparing a meal, you can thank God while you're preparing it for meeting all of your needs, praying while you're cooking. 
As you're folding laundry, which is the thing that I despise the most, you can actually pray for the people who are gonna be wearing the clothes. As you're meeting with difficult clients, you can try to see the image of Jesus in them, see past their brokenness and see Jesus in them. If you're stuck in traffic because of an accident, you can pray for the people that are involved. As you gather around the table for a meal, you can thank God for the gift of family and friends, that you're not alone. As you are feeling a little disconnected, you can meditate and breathe in the presence of God all around you, refocusing your attention on the Spirit. All of this, my friends, is worship. It's worship all the time. And using these examples and adding more of your own, I want you to imagine what it would be like to have a connection with God that runs so deep that everything you do, even the mundane drudgeries of life, that you do them with an awareness of God's presence and in a spirit of gratitude for all of God's good gifts. How would that change your life? This is what a life of worship looks like, and I believe it's a goal worth pursuing. The good news this morning, my friends, is that this way of life is not a pipe dream. It's possible. God makes it possible for us. And to help you move from imagining what it might look like to practicing what it might look like, I want to invite you to do a quick exercise, okay? And if you don't do it this morning, I invite you to do it later on during the week. But I want you to take out your bulletin and look inside. There's a handout there. And that handout has a list of drudgeries. <laughs> it's a great word, isn't it? Things we do and experience every day which are typically unpleasant. Chores, right? And I want to invite you to look through this list of drudgeries, and I want you to pick one that jumps out at you. Maybe it's the one that you like the least. Maybe it's the one that you're most resentful about having to do. But pick one of those drudgeries, and circle it, and then I want you to write one sentence beside it about how you're going to do that chore differently this week, how you will do it with the aim of connecting to God and praising God. Now, I've already given you several examples, but I want you to do this and make it your own. And then, once this is done, if you do it here this morning real quick, towards the end of the service, I invite you to find somebody else and share it. Maybe get a cup of coffee and share what your, how you flip that chore into an opportunity to praise God. Share that with someone uh, in the narthex and maybe talk about it a little bit over a cup of coffee. If you don't do it here and you have to scoot out, maybe you can share it with your spouse or a friend later in the week. But I just want you to be focused on how you can bring worship, an attitude of worship into every aspect of your life.